Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Welcome to Fraud Busting, another episode. I am super excited because we have Carol Cambridge with us. And Carol is a good friend of mine. And we met out speaking around the country and at the National Speakers Association. And she is the person who I was in her keynote and I had to go catch a plane. I could only see half of it. She is the only person that I've ever seen speak that I was super bummed I had to leave. Like I almost went to go change my flight. She was so riveting. Now, let me tell you about her. She is an expert in workplace violence, and um, she's a former, uh, she has a law enforcement background, I think, with, uh, and she was a 911 operator for a while, and she has this specialty that's going on now, which is active shooter training, and it was so compelling that I just said, oh my gosh, we have to be pals and I have to have you on Fraud Busting. So Carol, thank you so much for taking a little time for us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always enjoy being in your company, Tracy. So um, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh yeah. And you, you have the honor of being the only person, uh, only other expert that I've actually pulled up on stage, cut my content and pulled you up because I knew you were in the room and gave you a half hour of Q&A with us together. And I think, man, that hit the audience. Just you're, you're so genius that we're going to talk about all of that. So, um, but let's, let's get to know you a little bit first, shall we? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, yes. So um, we're locked down right now. And uh, I think people want to know, I think they'll be curious, how's your toilet paper stash? Are you doing all right? You know, doing fantastic because I don't have that scarcity mentality. So um, this fits perfect um, with talking about fear and fear in terms of active shooter, fear in terms of fraud, fear, period. Um, it, it's real funny because we were running low mm -hmm. and we were down to, I think, two roles and we had four people oh, in boy. the house. And, you know, I looked legitimately, couldn't find it, but I really wasn't too concerned. I said, you know, I just know that the universe always provides. Mm -hmm. Somehow, somewhere, this will be fine. My cleaning lady showed up. Now, this was prior to lockdown. Right. Uh, but my cleaning lady showed up and uh, she got out of the car with a big package of toilet paper. She says, you need any? Oh, perfect. <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. I love you. Thank you so much. And so we averted that. Well, then a week later, I was able to get a very large package at Costco and we went on the next door app and uh, I just said, Hey, do we have any seniors, anybody, uh, any person with a disability that can't get out or anybody in dire need? I'll share this toilet paper. And so we, well, actually didn't get to meet, but through texting and so on, uh, got to meet people virtually um, that were really in trouble. A woman with MS who believed that she had COVID. Oh. And uh, we ended up taking a whole lot of goodies over and putting them on her front porch. And her son was with her who was actually sick as well. And they oh, thought no. he had COVID. And so um, we got to be in service to people, have some fun, but didn't buy into the panic. And that's the big issue around what we're dealing with is mm -hmm. how can we teach people 
to not buy into that panic and fear because that is really, really dangerous. It's an enemy in any crisis, any emergency or life-threatening situation. Uh, panic and fear is your worst enemy. Well, and because and, they say the fear is, is going to be worse ultimately than the, than the virus and maybe uh, kill more people uh, indirectly. And so you're an expert on fear. Um, you have a lot of expertise in, in the workplace. And let's see, how, um, how is it that, that people can keep out of fear? Like, what's your little nugget so that people can really, like, as we move forward, because not only do we have a virus, but we, we're heading towards getting back to things where are we going to be wearing gloves or can we trust that the person next to us isn't sick in the airplane, right? Like how, how is our brain wired and how can we start to really guide and direct that so that it's useful? Oh, that's such a loaded question and a great question, Tracy. Um, you know, due to this current situation, Fear, unfortunately, is becoming normal. And that's, as you said, that is really a dangerous place for all mm -hmm. of us. It's dangerous for us as individuals, as workplaces, or as a family. And so I think this gives everybody an opportunity. If you're at home with your kids, you know, teach them how to show up in a crisis. Teach them about fear. And, and number one, you can acknowledge that you do have some fear, but you, you don't want to get caught up in it. Um, the, ca the capacity for being afraid is actually normal. So let, let me share two different uh, views of fear because there's, there's fear that is life-threatening. And that's kind of what we're talking about. If people are terrified that they're going to get COVID-19, their, their fear is a reality, but it eats at them. It eats at their entire system. And unfortunately, what happens is it increases the cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. And when we increase the cortisol levels, then we are more prone to illness. And so we're more likely to get it. On a spiritual level, we attract the things that we fear the most. Absolutely. So, so we need to, to stay very grounded. And right now we're in this, what I call perfect storm uh, for fear. And that is no job, no money, and loss of control. Mm -hmm. So people who feel that they're in a loss of control, um, some operate better, some operate worse. I mean, that is most people's worst nightmare is that we cannot control anything. And it's easy to say, just let go, uh, let go of the situation. Yeah, isn't and, that cute? That's real nice. Yeah, and everything <laughs> will work out. Most people can't do that. So, so there's this life-threatening um, situation. And then there's this fear of, uh, and you're a skier. I know you're a skier. Mm -hmm. uh, the fear of doing something that challenges us or going beyond our comfort zone. And I'm not talking about that kind of fear in this instance. We're talking about the life-threatening crisis type of, of fear. And that kind of fear is hardwired into our brain. And it's for a good reason. It gives us the warning signs uh, that there's going to be a dangerous or a life-threatening situation. And that's part of normal brain function. If we don't have that, then it can be a sign of actual brain damage or a sign of uh, some form of mental or emotional illness. So what's happening right now, this perfect storm that I talked about, it's, um, 
we can control it. We, we can't anticipate those twists that are coming and what's going to happen, but we can control how we respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's getting to the question that you asked me, what little tips do we have? Well, one of them is to take small controlled steps every day. Some people, when they, they are in this fear, they can't move. They're just frozen. They, mm-hmm. they, they can't move forward in any positive way. And sometimes that can be really overwhelming to take some of the big steps that we have to. So I share with people, make two lists. Make a professional list and a personal list. What steps can you take to move forward? So let's say you're furloughed. What can you take right now? Is there an online course that you could do? Is there a podcast that you can create? I think there is. (laughs) (laughs) What positive steps could you take? Maybe you don't actually love the job that you have that you're furloughed from. Uh, What qualifications would you need? What sorts of things would help you to get to that next level? So concentrate on the little steps. If it's personally, what are those personal small steps? Now, when it happened to me, and I landed in fear a few years ago after a, after a divorce and my ex unfortunately left me and yeah, I was kind of stupid, but he left me in a position where all, he maxed out every credit card that I had, emptied the bank account, uh, froze my business. So I couldn't even earn money through my business. That is super common. That is really common. It, Unfortunately, yes, and I should know better, and I didn't, and (laughs) I landed in that spot, and I was terrified, and I remember calling a friend and and just kind of letting loose about all of my fears, and she said, Carol, what's your worst fear? And I said, well, I guess that I'm going to be sitting on a street corner with a sign and my little dog begging for money and milk bones. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And she's like, Carol, that will never happen. You have way too many friends. You have too many people that are going to help you, that are going to take you in. And she just coached me, and she said, make a list of small steps and then make a list of the big things. And some days you're going to be able to handle one thing off the big list, but even if you can't take small controlled actions. So that's one major tip I can suggest for people is to take that one small controlled step every day. Right. And so, then, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the second thing is to quit future tripping and that's what's happening right now. Okay. People are future tripping. They're thinking about what happens if I don't go back to work in six weeks? What happens in two months? Now, obviously the people who have some money in their bank account or they have one person who maybe is working from home is going to be in a better financial position. There are people out there right now that we know are completely stressed because there is no income and they live from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, yeah. They're the folks that I am most concerned about because from a psychological standpoint and just the standpoint of uh, fearful people, desperate people will do desperate things. So they're the ones who are going to commit more fraud. So as, as this starts going back to some semblance of normality, mm-hmm. I know that'll probably be a new normal, but as we go back there from the perspective of employers, they've got to start paying attention to what's going to happen because they are going to be more vulnerable to fraud. People will take steps that they've never done before because people are going to protect their family and feed their kids. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And they think maybe they deserve it. Right. Or, yes. uh, there's always a rationale. So, uh, in all your, um, I guess travels through law enforcement and everything you've heard, what, what would you, uh, say, what do people need to look for? What do employers need to look for? Is there a, a stereotype? And while we don't want to stereotype people, we need to look for certain behaviors that say, wait a minute, I don't know about if the situation is right. Like, how, how do people know where, when they need to dig deeper? Right. Well, there are definitely signs and there are behaviors that might be predictive mm -hmm. of violence. And we look for high stress levels and this is where it's going to get touchy because a lot of people coming back into the workplace are going to have many of these signs so we have to be particular i think the the point here is that we have to connect with people on a human level like we have never done before oh okay. we have to give them permission to share their fears uh -huh. Um, so things we're, we're starting to look for, though, are things that are different than before, behaviors that have changed. So um, perhaps you have somebody who was always well put together. They always had their makeup on. They were always dressed appropriately for work. Mm -hmm. But now they're coming in and they have poor personal hygiene. They um, seem to have... Um, they're not together. They seem to be losing it. Just simple requests. They seem to be strung out in terms oh, of um, on the edge. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're snappy with their responses. Um, we need to pay attention in particular for people who may be dealing with painful personal issues. Mm -hmm. Like right now, for instance, this is a terrible time for anybody who's dealing with domestic violence. Oh, it's horrible. They're trapped in their house with the offender mm -hmm. so when they get back into the workplace for instance they're they're going to be relieved and yet fearful <laughs> because they don't want they're they're glad to be back into that workspace away from that person but that person is usually extremely controlling so we're looking for those painful personal issues is somebody going through a divorce or Maybe they had a bad relationship prior to this lockdown. This lockdown is going to push every issue to the end. Oh, yeah. And, and so when they come back in, we need to be able to check with these people. What's going on? Are things okay at home? Mm -hmm. How can we help as a company? They may be facing bankruptcy, foreclosure. Um, they may be dealing with someone in their family who has a gambling debt. And it's gotten worse. <laughs> Oh because yeah, of the current situation. Mm -hmm. And all that is a not necessarily, but it can be a pre-indicator of fraud, right? Absolutely. Are they are they are they who you want in charge of your accounts payable? Definitely, <laughs> you not. Know? Definitely like, not. Yeah, so we're looking for things, you know, faulty decision making. Mm -hmm. Um inconsistent work patterns, work patterns that are different. Now we're going to have to get, have everybody have a little bit of a break when they come back because there is going to be a little bit of an adjustment mm -hmm. period as we go back. Where I'm concerned in terms of fraud or workplace violence is what happens with some of those furloughed people that may not be coming back. Mm -hmm. So the company is calling back some of their people, maybe not full force, and they may use this time to be selective about who they are bringing back into the workplace. Yeah. 
So if you take somebody who's angry, somebody who's vindictive, someone who thinks they've been passed over for a promotion, uh -huh. but they still perhaps have access to privileged information in the company mm -hmm. and they get any indication that they are not coming back to work, that's when they can commit fraud. You know, well, you got fraud and then, which, which is a problem. Like it's a problem for sure. And then, and then you got this whole active shooter thing, which, you know, we put the active shooters out of business for a time here um, because there's no crowds, supposedly. Right. right? So yeah. what do you think is going to happen with that when we come back? Is it, is it will probably, I think we'll stall for a while. I think we're going to see results like we saw after 9-11, where people are going to come back into the workplace. They're going to be very polite, very cautious, feeling like we are all in this together. Mm -hmm. And then as weeks progress, that's going to start to break down. Uh, when we're going to see differences when people run out of money. So those furloughed employees who have applied for unemployment, when that runs out, when that panic sets in, or people who don't have the ability to seek mental health professionals, mm -hmm. um, if they've had employee assistance through work, but that now has stopped because they're mm -hmm. not coming back to work. They don't have the avenue, they don't have the money to pay for that help. That's when this is going to start occurring again. Now, whether that's six weeks, two months, I'm not sure how we forecast that, mm -hmm. but I do see an increase in, in fraud, in workplace violence, in domestic assault, uh, and active shooters, I think, will go back to where it was once we start with those crowds. Now, the crowd issue may be delayed. So mm -hmm. we may start going back to work here in a couple of months. That may be... Um, you know, little by little, right. that'll be increasing. But I think it's going to be longer for the concerts. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be longer for the large crowds to be getting together. And we may not see that for several months. So right. that's probably going to delay that. Mm -hmm. Will we see a shooter? Will we see somebody who is desperate and start shooting in smaller crowds? Probably. Mm -hmm. So, so is what is, is the profile of a given what we have now is a profile of someone who's going to commit fraud, the same profile as someone who's going to start shooting or are they just a little different? What's your thought on that? They're a little bit different. And if I knew the 100% answer to that question, I'd be a multimillionaire sitting mm. in the Caribbean right. uh, with the love of my life and our dogs. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can have um, psychologists, psychiatrists, forensic psychiatrists, and everybody will say the same. There's no magic number or specific order to the signs that indicate any kind of violence. It's really a complex set of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I think that people, um, the, the people who can go out there and commit an active shooter type incident are on the far end of the scale. Okay. The people who commit fraud are on this lower end of the scale because they don't see it most times. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Tracy, uh -huh. because you're the expert on fraud. I'm not. Right. But I think they see it as uh, they're deserving of the money. Yeah. They're deserving of the situation, but they're not really in it to cause violent behavior to someone else. They don't see it as necessarily a harmful. Right. Crime. It's victimless. 
Yes. That's how it appears is victimless. Right. And they don't see that point. An active shooter is after the victims. They want to retaliate. They want everybody to see and understand their pain. Most of them go into this uh, knowing full well they're never coming out alive. Mm -hmm. So they want to go out in that blaze of glory. Right. Well, and they started booby trapping their hotel rooms and their houses and also, I mean, that's kind of a new, newer development. <laughs> yeah. So I think there, there's a huge scale um, and it starts out, uh, you know, on the lower end, uh, a bully in the workplace who may commit fraud or who may commit workplace violence against someone else. A, it's the same as a bully in school. Mm -hmm. The bullies online aren't going to do when you see bullying on Facebook or next door or on any of these other apps, Twitter, anything else, they're not going to do it when you're face to face. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're too scared. They're too scared. They're too afraid, but they'll do it in the safety of, of their anonymity or mm -hmm. semi anonymity, if we mm -hmm. can say it that way. Right. Um, and that's a lot different. So there is a scale um, and those active shooters top that scale. And when I say they top it, they blame others. They don't take any accountability or responsibility for any of their own actions. They right. think they've been wronged or they've been treated unfairly. Um, they have suicidal tendencies, perhaps. Mm -hmm. They've been unhappy for a long time. They're, there's a significant emotional despair. And the other thing that I haven't touched on that we are going to see in the workplace is suicide. Oh, really? Yes. And we've already seen several suicides. This is not making the media right now, but I've seen probably three different cases in three different locations around the country right now where someone has killed their significant other and then turned the gun on themselves because of this perfect storm. No money. They've both been furloughed. They're living from paycheck to paycheck. They don't know where they're going. They can't see a way out financially. Mm -hmm. They just don't know what's going to happen. So they kill themselves and or first the other person, obviously, and then they kill themselves. So that's a trend that we're going to see the longer that this goes on. Uh -huh. Wow. So, um, so we know we have a uh, scale where where people are and and we know that uh, employers like really listening and even giving access and maybe even encouragement to um, mental health is or mental health care is going to be key uh, going back to um, prevent fraud is there anything we can do about the violence that may pop up um, like from, from internally with businesses? You know, I think it's, it goes back again to that human kindness piece. And we, ha we haven't trained our supervisors mm -hmm. and our managers. And a lot of people in those positions deserve those positions. But we all know that there's companies and businesses who have promoted people to supervisors or managers who really shouldn't be in that. They don't have the emotional intelligence mm -hmm. to manage and supervise other people. And so this is where it's going to be tricky. So if companies want to be prepared, now is the time that they can be training their managers and supervisors on how to have these conversations, mm -hmm. how to treat people with human kindness. You're going to see a lot of agitation. You're going to see fear when people come back to work. You're going to see people feeling uncomfortable in the workplace. Nobody wants to talk about how they've had, they've, their kids and their family have been living on ramen noodles 
for weeks. They are embarrassed by that. Oh, they don't yeah. want people to know that they've been living paycheck to paycheck. So personal details may start coming out. Some people will play the victim role. Mm -hmm. Some people, that anger will begin to escalate. Okay. <laughs> and when that anger escalates, that's where we have the potential for problems with violence. Mm -hmm. And it could be simple things that... That, that people work together. So in other words, I did a, a, a webinar a couple of weeks ago on fear. And one of the questions that I got, I thought was so profound and I, I need to sit down actually today and write an article on this, but they said, what can we do? Those of us who are working right now, mm -hmm. what can we do to keep our people motivated every day? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do we put a smile on their face? And one of the first things you can do is how do you figure out as a company, what, things can you do to be in service mm -hmm. to others? Because as soon as we start being in service to others, we focus outwards instead of inwards. Yeah, and yeah. that's one of the best things that we can do. So whether you have people working now, and, and obviously this is not going to apply to healthcare workers and first responders who are so busy they can't keep up. Oh yeah, so my, my banking clients, are their hair's on fire. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we're not talking about this for everybody, but for those who can, you know, what can you do as a group? We have a lot of homeless people who are being neglected right now. They, they aren't getting the food. They aren't getting the help. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in parts in the Midwest, we're getting freezing. They had snow the last couple of days. People aren't prepared for that. Do you have an extra blanket you can share? Could you bring that into work? Uh, what have you got in terms of extra food, extra anything? Um, you know, if you're healthy and you feel comfortable with it, you can donate your time at a food bank once a month. My husband and I do um, blood plasma donations. Yeah, I was uh, very impressed by that, I got to say, because I don't give blood because I don't do good afterwards for a couple days. Right. Um, and when you said that, I was like, oh, aren't you nice? You are nicer than me. <laughs> Well, my husband's way nicer than me because he's been donating plasma. He started donating platelets years ago and helped a friend uh, survive uh, lymphoma uh, as a result of that donation. And so the last two, three years, uh, he's been donating blood platelets. Because of my travel schedule, I have never been able to. So when I saw this opportunity, I thought, yeah, okay, I, I can do this. Let me see how it goes. Um, so I will do that for as long as I can. But I think what happens if any one of us looks outside of ourselves, there is some way that we can be of service. I've suggested to people get on the Nextdoor app. Uh, a lot of us don't know our neighbors very well, but it's a great place to just pose the question. Is there anybody that I can go get some food for? Is there anybody who needs my help with shopping? Anybody who needs their grass cut? I, I mean, it could be multiples of things, but we have a lot of people who are holed up at home mm -hmm. that just aren't physically able or capable of, of properly taking care of themselves. So even if it's doing some grocery shopping for them, but companies can do that on a larger scale because it doesn't require people to bring in a whole lot every day. It could be, uh, okay, let's do a one week thing at work where every day, maybe Monday you bring in extra toiletries that you don't need. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday, you bring in extra blankets, um, Wednesday, extra socks, t-shirts, you know, anything like this. And really if, 
if you work as a group at work, you can come up with some great ideas to keep people motivated that isn't going to be costly, but gets us out of that self-absorption. Well, exactly. And you know, one of my clients who I've never seen it done so well, Alliance Data, they, they service all of your credit cards. So, you, so let's say you have like an Ikea credit card or, or um, Victoria's Secret. You don't call Victoria's Secret to take care of your charges. You call Alliance Data. And so, you know, these people are on the phone all the time and they're dealing with angry people and trying to resolve problems and they do so much good work in the community. They have such a loyal uh, following uh, just with their employees because of it. And, and it's part of the culture. So that yeah. that's going to decrease your violence. It's going to decrease your fraud is understanding there's a, there's a bigger global ecosystem that you've got to create. And not to say that, uh, if you have fraud, you should, uh, you know, it's your, it's your fault, right? But you need to stop and say, okay, wait, how, how did this happen? How did we help create this? Whether it's policies or whether it's, you know, are you really creating loyalty from your folks? And, and I think that that's a huge key. Oh, it's huge. I call it creating a, a compassionate culture. Yeah. And if you don't already have that compassionate culture, what can you put in place? You know, just checking in on your employees. I, I've heard some horror stories. You know, people are now working from home. Some companies are checking up on their employees. No, no, no. The calls should be to check in on your employees. Oh, not check okay. up on them, but check in. Speak from the heart, not your brain. Find out how they're doing. Find out how their kids are. Um, you know, is everybody getting on each other's nerves? But you're right on with that, Tracy. Creating a culture of compassion. If you have a compassionate culture, you don't have a fear-based culture. Because you can't have both. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. I've, I've worked in plenty of those fear-based cultures, <laughs> and and I um and, and we see it now because I used to work in food production management, you know, former lifetime, and now who's struggling? But these food plants that are starting to uh, that are shutting down, like the pork plants and things like that. Yeah. that that's because food manufacturing is a fear-based industry it just is it's mm -hmm. it's confrontational with uh unions uh, versus uh the company and then here uh i'll tell you exactly why the sick people showed up to work and infected everyone else because they're too scared not to and yes. um, like for sure i know that and um, while i don't know the details of the specific situation i'm i'm pretty sure that that's what went on so well, I'm so, confident that you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's just, let's just touch on, um, cause I've seen you do it on stage and it's so amazing because we're going to need this information, um, moving forward. What do we need to do in an active shooter situation? What is the one thing people need to know to keep themselves safe? <sighs> It's such a loaded question. Just one thing. I know. Thing. I know you well, can talk for three hours on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, very quickly, I think we need to train ourselves ahead of time as to what to do, and the first few seconds are really what's important. So, if you think you're hearing gunshots, you need to take some action. You need to start moving, but the first few seconds needs to stop 
and push that cognitive part of your brain. Where are they coming from? What can I go? Where can I go? What can I do? Much of this needs to be pre-planned. So if you're in your office, you need to know what your first exit is and your secondary exit is. Because what will happen in those moments is that fear takes over and we tend to freeze, not because we're fearful, but because we haven't planned. We haven't trained our brain what to do. So take a second or two to process. Keep low. If you have an exit that you can take that's a place of safety or to get you to a place of safety, start crouch down in a zigzag pattern. And the toughest part of it is you're going to see and run into other people who are also frozen, who cannot move. And you're going to have to make a very quick decision. You can say, come with me, attempt to pull them or take them with you. If they don't come, if they're frozen, you have to leave them behind and head for safety. And a lot of people aren't prepared for that and will stay there. Um, some of us will panic, some will want to fight, and others will completely freeze. So the more we think through things, um, and the more we can be prepared in terms of teaching our brain what to do. Uh, a lot of us have false information. Our kids know more about this than we do as adults <laughs> because our kids they have, have it in school. Yeah, exactly. But as adults, we really don't know what to do. And so if you have a place that you can hide, then hide. But Ultimately, your goal is to get out if you can in a safe way. Now, one of the things, because I, I don't do a lot with guns, um, and you know, I, I don't have that, I didn't grow up with like firearms and the whole thing. And right. so, uh, one of the things I learned from your, your talk is that you don't often know where the gunshots are coming from, which doesn't, when you said that, I was like, really? And then I heard some shots. So I was somewhere out and I was like, oh, I don't know where that's coming from. So tell us about, about that um, versus like where to run. Right. So we don't know. And the sound of gunshots is going to be dependent on a variety of things. The, um, the type of weapon that's being mm -hmm. used. Are we talking an automatic, a semi-automatic weapon, a pistol? They're all going to sound slightly different and they're going to sound different inside. So if you're used to going to a gun range, for instance, you may be familiar with the sound of gunshots, but it's going to be very, very different. If you're in a warehouse, for instance, uh, that, that has a lot of aluminum, it's going to sound very different than a gunshot in a building that has a lot of concrete walls. It's going to sound different than there's a lot of glass that's smashing and so on. And so the sound kind of reverberates um, depending where you are, and it's very difficult. We as human beings have a very curious nature. And unfortunately, what we are learning is that many people who have not heard a gunshot before, um, in their curiosity, they think it sounds kind of like a car backfiring. Is that what it is? No, this is like we're inside. That couldn't be a car. Yeah, is I have to think car? about it. Like, I'm like, oh, what is, was that? Really? Is, yeah. Like, and, what what else could that have been? Yeah. And a yeah. lot of people will mistake fireworks <laughs> yeah. uh, for that, especially if they hear something outside. So because we're curious in nature, we run towards the gunshots. And that's one of the things that we have to train ourselves not to do until it's verified what it is. You want to be going away from that noise, not going towards it in any way. 
Yeah. Well, if it's bouncing off the walls, the sound, then what's the best plan? Just go somewhere other um, than where you are or stay? Well, again, it depends on the particular situation. And this is the problem. We could have 25 different situations. Yeah. And I could teach you for 23 of them. Um, and the one that you would end up in would be the two that I didn't share with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, that's why this becomes so difficult. So if you have the availability of getting out, so you hear gunshots, which you think are coming, say, from the far left portion of the building, you need to know what exits you can go out on the right-hand side of your building. Now, the problem is that because we are, um, we, as human beings, we tend to do the same things the same way. We're creatures of habit. So if we always enter the building from the left and we always exit the building from the left, we don't pay too much attention to where those other exits are. So that's the pre-planning that I was talking about. Got know it. where those exits are because you might need to know where they are. Let's say after all of this, we're out and we're in a shopping mall. Most people have no idea what to do if they're in a shopping mall. They hear the sound of gunshots. Your best place, as much as I want to say, yes, you need to head outside, but it might be to get inside a store and try to head to the back. Most of those stores in a mall will have a back exit, whether it leads directly outside or whether it leads to a hallway that then takes you to a major exit because that's how they get all their deliveries. Right, right through the back, yeah. Oh, that's a good tip. I never yeah. thought about that. Ooh, I just yeah. learned something huge. I feel <laughs> You feel a little tiny smidge safer? I, I feel a little safer. Out, out well, there. the other thing is, is we have a tendency to follow the crowd. So if you have a whole crowd, and, and this is what happened, you know, in Las Vegas, people are all sort of pushing in this big crowd to get away. There's nowhere really for people to go. And in that particular instance, there was nowhere for people to hide. Let's say you're in a mall. I want to keep my shoulder as close to the wall as I can. Oh, because then if there's a crowd, I know where the next exit is. I know where the next entrance to the next store. Oh, the stores what? start shutting the doors, or I get pushed down or shoved aside. I'm far safer to be with my shoulder against the wall and have some familiarity than all the screaming, shoving, and pushing that's going to occur. Because if you're on the outside, you may even be pushed over the railing if you're on the second floor or the third floor. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is, see, this is the part of your keynote that I missed uh, was, was this part. Um, so Carol, um, you have been fantastic today and just such a wealth of knowledge. I'm so happy that you took the time to, to join us. Oh, well, thank you, Tracy. I admire your work so much and you, what you do around fraud and identifying liars is something that every company, every human resource person uh, needs to have at their company. Uh, because it, number one, it's fascinating. I also can listen to you for hours. Uh, I'm one of the Tracy uh, fan club members. And, <laughs> but it, it, it's fascinating and it really saves a lot of money. And, and so we can save lives and we can save money. Right. Uh, we just pay attention differently. Like if we pay attention to what you talked about and, uh, you know, I talk about lie detection all the time. 
like you got to cover yourself paying attention is free that's the thing it's not about some fancy computer program or it's just just pay attention be human and and start to notice like what's going on so okay and that's the number one key uh, mm -hmm. for active shooter by the way is being aware of your surroundings yeah pay attention <laughs> Pay attention, be yeah. aware. And most of us are so busy with our lives. We're focused on multiple different things. We're just simply not aware. Um, so when we go back into the workplace, whether it's fraud you're concerned of, workplace violence, any of these things, paying attention and being aware of changes, differences, differences in behavior, that's the telltale signs right that there. supervisors and managers need to pay attention to. Got it. So how can people find you? Because I got to tell you, you're at the top of my list of speakers to recommend because you're just riveting on stage and this stuff everybody needs to know. I've never seen an audience so sucked in. Um, <laughs> how can people find you? Uh, tell me all that information. Oh, you're very sweet. Well, thank you. Our experiential program on Active Shooter is right now one of the 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 most uh, requested programs uh, because it gets everybody involved. And yeah, anybody listening that wants to reach out can find us on the web at thestaysafeproject.com. Uh, they can search for us on LinkedIn, uh, Carol Cambridge and the Stay Safe Project. Uh, or you can give us a call at 623-242-8797. We also pick up the phone the old-fashioned way. So <laughs> How about it? Lots yeah. of ways to find us. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, I hope, I really hope people do reach out because I got to tell you, it's, if, if they're not there, got their head in the sand and um, it's just a riveting, riveting program. So uh, make sure you reach out to Carol. Make sure you do it. Thank you so much, Tracy. Very Thank honored to be with you today. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.